Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. We're coming to you from Tiruciar in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Euro Nation. I'm Anthony Dockville. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. Much emphasis is placed on the government's role in effectively combating climate change. But what about the role of business? In order to address climate change, business must undergo a transformative shift in their approaches to assessing opportunities and risks. And as we're about to witness, businesses are beginning to redefine their operational framework, thereby fostering fresh perspectives on their fundamental values. To help us talk through all of this, we are lucky to have Professor Martina Linaluki from the UTS Business School. She's an expert on environmental finance and how business is adapting to a low-carbon future. Professor Martina Linaluki, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, we hear a lot about what government needs to do to fight climate change, but business is as equally important if we're going to actually tackle this problem. Is it time we talk seriously about business and how it can be part of the solution? Yes, I mean, definitely. When we look into the extent to which businesses are contributing to greenhouse gas emissions and certainly also other environmental and social issues, I think it's definitely time to really consider how to integrate businesses into the debate around, you know, how can we mitigate climate change and other types of environmental problems, but certainly also what needs to be done in terms of adapting to environmental changes that are now inevitable. And that is certainly, you know, I think a big task, but will also require differentiated responses for different sectors as well. What do you think the level of understanding of the problem is in the business community? Look, I think it it varies a little bit. I've worked with companies that had a very good understanding about, you know, different future climate scenarios and how that might impact their core business operations, different parts of their supply chain, for instance, and so on. But I think overall, there is still, you know, I think I wouldn't call it a lack of understanding, but I think a lot of managers up to this point and decision makers are not really realizing, you know, the large extent of changes that we are going to see in the future and how that will really lead to very large scale disruptions. So I think we are definitely seeing a shift at the moment where businesses are trying to build up that understanding. We are also seeing a lot of regulatory developments at this point. But I think there is still not this, you know, level of understanding and level of action that we really need to bring about more substantial transitions in the economy. One of the reasons we've heard many times why business hasn't been investing in the energy transition was, you know, properly tackling climate change was that business wasn't getting the certainty that it needed from government. And that's been a, a narrative for a long time now. But government hasn't been providing the certainty in the policy framework, so business won't invest. Was that a valid reason? And do you think now business has that certainty? Yeah, I mean, in particular here in the Australian context, I think we've seen a lot of back and forth when it comes to policies around the energy transition. Right? We've had a lot of you know stop-start when it comes to, to climate policy. At the moment, we are seeing, you know, that there is a greater attention to climate change at the moment and certainly also the question how the 
energy transition can be facilitated. Yeah, to some extent, I think, you know, it definitely helps businesses if there is a clear policy framework in place and if there are clear targets in place, but not just targets, but also plans regarding how the transition is actually meant to look like and how it can happen in a supported kind of way, because we obviously don't want to see a situation where we have a chaotic transition or where it's unclear what's going to happen, what the steps involve, what type of support is available and so on. So yeah, I think this type of policy clarity is really important. And we can definitely see examples from overseas. So Europe, for instance, where I think there have been much clearer policy frameworks in place, which has certainly helped to accelerate the transition to some extent. One of the things we've seen in recent times too is that after the Albanese government was elected, there was a lot of a lot of projects suddenly came online. So clearly, business in Australia was sitting on plans that had been working on. Do you expect to see more of this happening in the coming years? Yeah, look, I think ultimately we are seeing now a situation as well where it just becomes essentially no longer possible or viable to uh, to not act on climate change. And, you know, I think Australia in that regard, or, you know, the Australian business sectors here, I think also face a situation where there are a lot, where there's a lot of action happening overseas. So consequently, I think we'll also see an adjustment in terms of, you know, policy frameworks and business responses as well, in particular when it comes to initiatives such as the task force for climate related impacts. So I think all of that will essentially have implications for the Australian industry sectors as well. And ultimately, I think a lot of companies are also facing a situation where climate change impacts are becoming more noticeable, right? So we already know that we have had a one degree of warming, which has already happened. And this is already leading to changes in our environment. And we can certainly see that here in Australia as well, due to all the variability we had in in climate patterns as well over the last few years, right? So these changes are also reaching a level whereby we can't just simply ignore them anymore. And businesses can't just simply ignore them anymore. They have very tangible impacts on a lot of business sectors. So I think this will also prompt a certain level of action beyond just, you know, the regulatory case, essentially, for businesses to act as well. Well, it does seem that business is actually catching up in a lot of ways. And one of the things I wanted to unpack here, one of the the measures that we're starting to see come through that businesses are using is the environmental, social and government's impact or ESG. What exactly is the ESG and, and how important do you think it's going to be going forward? Yeah. So when we talk about ESG, what that normally refers to are indicators that are measuring a company's environmental performance, social performance, and then also its performance in terms of governance indicators as well. So that encompasses a very large number of different indicators, right? So it looks at, for instance, you know, carbon emissions, action on climate change. It also looks into a whole range of other social performance indicators and governance indicators as well. There's certainly been a large uptake of ESG-related measures in industry, certainly also in investment decisions and investment frameworks as well. So it has definitely prompted, I think, a much larger attention to these types of indicators as well. I mean, up to this point, I think the uptake of these types of indicators is certainly, you know, promising and we have seen a lot of action. 
But, you know, there has also been a little bit of skepticism around to what extent, you know, reporting on ESG is really driving the type of transformative action that we need to see in order to tackle, you know, the large scale environmental changes that we are currently facing. Do you see ESG as as something that is going to have positive impacts or do you think it's what some people call it greenwashing? Look, I think it depends on the way that it is being implemented, right? So if companies is taking this very seriously and is trying to bring about meaningful changes and is actually trying to make changes to improve performance on these indicators, then I can definitely see a case here for, you know, ESG driving meaningful changes for those types of companies, right? But, you know, we've certainly also seen examples where companies are essentially, you know, trying to, you know, just improve the reporting on these indicators or improve or just make marginal improvements here and there. And that is then, you know, definitely not driving any kind of meaningful large-scale transition, for example. One of the things you mentioned before was how ESG and these kinds of new ways of thinking are feeding into investing frameworks. How important is finance going to be or financing the transition to a a, a zero economy going to be? And are we starting to see fundamental changes in the way the financing of businesses is being approached? I mean, one important element of any kind of finance decision is, you know, an attention towards risk and long-term risk in a lot of instances as well, especially for investments that have got longer lifespans. So what we are definitely noticing at the moment, you know, is that there is a much greater attention to risks as they relate to certain projects, right? So for instance, discussions around new coal power plants, for instance, you know, on new mining projects now involve a much greater consideration around, you know, how these projects might potentially be impacted by changing climate legislation, you know, how they are potentially driving further climate changes. And all of that factors into, I guess, you know, the sort of like risks that these projects carry. And consequently, that also relates then to, you know, consideration whether or not an investor wants to still invest in these projects. Do they really bring the long-term returns that we would like to see? Or, you know, are there lucrative business opportunities that might be arising elsewhere, right? And now at the moment, we are definitely seeing a change in that regard. We are definitely seeing, you know, that ultimately there is, I think, a transition towards you know, new and very good business opportunities in the net zero space, in particular in the clean energy space as well. And that has certainly shifted the investor attention away from, you know, fossil fuel projects towards these types of projects. And there might actually be, you know, a very good opportunity here for investors to, you know, get a much bigger return on these projects in the long run, but certainly also a return, you know, that is more compatible with environmental and social and also, you know, to some extent, governance frameworks here as well. So in terms of ESG and in terms of risks, these projects might ultimately look more lucrative. So you really are, you're talking about a fundamental way that markets are changing and looking at projects and investments and ESG metrics are factoring into some of this decision making. Are we seeing that sort of change happening in Australia? 
I think it's starting to happen, right? I don't see, you know, this kind of large scale transformation here yet, right? But we're definitely noticing, you know, greater attention to these factors, right? We are noticing, you know, more appetite around clean energy projects as well. Australia has been, especially over the last decade or so, really lagging behind in terms of, you know, renewable energy uptake. And, you know, I mean, there's various indicators that we've kind of been, you know, monitoring over time. And it comes essentially down to, you know, for instance, you know, the carbon intensity of the energy system. So Australia has definitely been not been leading in this particular space, quite the opposite. Australia has been really lagging behind in comparison, you know, to other developed countries. But we also have indicators, you know, such as renewable energy development, rooftop solar up, uh, rooftop solar uptake. So there's a lot of, you know, I think movement at the moment. But still, you know, Australia is still lagging behind at this particular point. I mean, traditionally, Australia also was in a situation where, you know, the entire economy was very fossil fuel dependent, right? Australia was very heavily dependent on mining, on coal production, coal exports, and what not right so it does also put australia into a position where the transition is perhaps a little bit more difficult compared to other countries that you know kind of started from a different sort of baseline scenario here in this regard right but you know the technology is available it can be deployed it is very competitive in terms of prices at this particular point in time, right? So, yeah, hopefully, I guess that will feed into, you know, the or a greater appetite, let's put it that way, you know, to bring about a transition here in Australia as well. So, look, we are behind Europe and America when it comes to this way of approaching business. But what do you see when you look at Europe and America, how they're approaching the financing of projects and how ESG is feeding into decision-making, because that sounds like that's going to be the future for Australia. How is it different and what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, what I definitely see, I mean, particularly looking at Europe at the moment, we are seeing, you know, the development of much clearer long-term strategies, right? So, for example, you know, the European Union has put forward, you know, its long-term strategy to be climate neutral by 2050, and that comes with, you know, very clear, essentially, plans and also a very clear vision for how this transition is going to happen. It's ultimately also being put into national strategies for the different EU member states and, yeah, much clearer guidance as well, you know, what needs to happen in order to ultimately reach this target, which then comes down to, you know, emission targets. I mean, the European Union also had the emissions trading scheme in place for quite a fair few years now. But, you know, there's also a lot of other initiatives that are currently being pursued as well. You know, so for instance, at the household level, you know, there is definitely much greater attention towards, you know, for instance, updating the housing stock at the moment to make, you know, the, the living situation more energy efficient as well, right? There is essentially a clear plan in place already to phase out cars that have got, you know, the, the traditional combustion engines. There is, you know, I think there's a lot of action happening at all levels of society that's really trying to drive the energy transition in the long term, right? And yeah, when we compare that to the current situation here, 
in Australia, I don't think there's really this, you know, at the moment, this clear and strong vision and, you know, this clear plan in place, how this is all going to be achieved, how it's going to be funded. But, you know, also, I think we are still not seeing this kind of action at various levels of society, if that makes sense. No, it does. The two words that have popped up while you've been talking that really, I think, come to the heart of all the things we're talking about here. One is opportunity and the other is risk. Let's talk yeah. about opportunity first. There's tremendous opportunities for business here. Business in Australia has tended to see this as a cost, as a problem, as a form of disruption. But it's also a tremendous opportunity for Australia to grow and new businesses to emerge. Do you want to talk a little bit about the opportunities that are possible here? Yeah, sure. I think they really extend, you know, to a number of different areas and markets, right? I mean, one of the opportunities that is definitely related to the clean energy transition is, you know, that new market opportunities are opening up in terms of, you know, clean energy products and services. And, you know, that relates to, you know, again, all levels in society. I think, you know, it opens up new spaces for entrepreneurs to enter this area. You know, there's new areas such as climate tech that are opening up, right? And that, you know, relates to all sorts of opportunities, right? That relates to exploring areas around, you know, green hydrogen that relates to, you know, opportunities to see how we can already deploy existing technologies and scale that up, right? That I think also allows, you know, companies that have got low carbon products to really enter lucrative business niches. So I think that's definitely a very um, you know, interesting space at this point in time, right? We've got an entire transportation sector that needs to be transformed as well, right? So not just the energy sector. But ultimately, you know, even companies that are not really at this sort of like transformational kind of stage yet, we see great opportunities just in terms of resource efficiencies, right? So organizations that can successfully improve their resource efficiencies. So for instance, the energy usage might really benefit from cost savings, reduced operating costs and so on, innovation certainly as well. And the same applies as well to organizations that can successfully adopt decentralized energy sources, adopt new technologies and so on. Ultimately, just that means, you know, lower risk exposure, but certainly also the opportunity to really, you know, benefit from these types of opportunities that arise. Yes, the opportunities are many, aren't they? It's incredible. But the risk is something we should talk about too, because risk here has multiple meanings. I mean, all businesses know what risk is on a daily basis, but we are also talking about some risk that's coming towards business in a different way. So I'm talking about things like the fact that business might not even be possible if life on, pla on the planet becomes impossible to maintain. But in between those two extremes, risk is something that's needing to be factored in. And it's, it's something that has a global level. How does business take risk into consideration when it's dealing with something as fundamentally large as climate change. So yeah, looking here at the risk classification that's been put forward by the task force on climate related financial disclosures, so the TCFD, we essentially, you know, see that there are two two types of main risks. So one type is the direct physical risk that is resulting from climate change and that can result from so onset changes and chronic changes such as sea level rise. But where I guess, you know, we see it really 
dominantly is, you know, when we talk about extreme weather events or changes in the increased frequency or severity of weather and climate extremes. And I guess, you know, we've had no shortages in recent years here in Australia when it comes to these really large scale extremes, right? Just when we think back to the bushfires and the devastating impact that they had, I think this is really sort of like showing what climate risk could mean in the future when these types of events might become more frequent or even more intense, right? And that has all sorts of implications. It can, you know, result in direct financial losses, in particular in sectors such as insurance, reinsurance. But we've also got a lot of societal impacts, right? So, for instance, we've seen direct impacts on health, on mortality rates in the population, you know, due to heat stress, due to inhaling smoke, due to exposed to these types of conditions. So that's one, one side of the risk spectrum. The other risk that we look at is the transition risk as well. So this is essentially resulting from the transition to a low-carbon economy. And so what we see is, right, there is more momentum around transitioning to uh, net zero or to transition just to an economy, you know, that is more environmentally friendly. Ultimately, what that means is we see rapid changes in policies and legislative frameworks and technologies and markets and stakeholder preferences, right? So there's a whole lot going on, essentially, and that really can impact businesses and entire sectors. And the more rapid this transition is taking place and the more disorderly it occurs, right, the more likely it is that some sectors are really struggling to adapt to it. And I think this is also why it's so important to have a clear plan in place and a clear policy framework in place, how the transition is meant to be occurring. So, you know, that we are not facing any types of, you know, policy surprises or sudden changes that are happening, right? So it essentially gives companies a much greater opportunity to adapt over time. It does seem like a very dynamic situation here. We were talking about opportunity and risk and the way those two are feeding into each other and the implications of doing business, but also doing business in possibly a policy framework that is changing. One of the criticisms of Australian business that I've seen in this space when it comes to dealing with climate change and innovating is that there's a feeling that Australian business is just going to rely on using offsets to meet any climate goals. Do you think that's a fair criticism? And do you think that there's a growing awareness that we can't just offset our way out of this problem? Yeah, I mean, offsetting is usually just seen, you know, as this kind of like last resort, right? So the best way, I guess, to deal with emissions is to avoid them in the first place, right? What, I mean, a lot of the criticisms regarding to offsetting definitely relates to the problem that ultimately, you know, by the time that you're looking into offsetting, the actual impact in terms of carbon emissions has already happened, right? And then you are kind of trying to retrospectively undo some of the damage, right? But that really doesn't sort of prevent the problems in the first place. I guess where we are still seeing, you know, a lot of controversy, around offsetting as well is, you know, we have got very few guidelines around offsetting in place. You know, offsetting does not really reduce the root cause of carbon emissions, right? It only removes essentially a tiny fraction of the global carbon emissions that are already, you know, that have already happened basically. And I guess one of the big issues is also is offsetting really 
properly priced at the moment. You know, a lot of offsets at this point in time are very cheap. So it just provides kind of like, you know, a very kind of cheap options for businesses to try and remedy their climate situation here. But that doesn't really, you know, bring about a sort of deeper engagement with what can we really do, you know, in terms of really trying to adapt to climate change, right? Trying to mitigate carbon emissions, right? So it's not really forcing companies to look into, okay, where do we source our energy, right? What's happening to our travel patterns? What's happening in terms of, you know, the transportation demands that we've got in in terms of, you know, our supply chain network, for instance, right? And I think this is where we need to see the type of transition happening, right? So I think offsets can certainly play a role in the overall effort to mitigate climate change. But, you know, I think they shouldn't be this sort of like, you know, first attempt to do it. Okay, we're going straight to offsets, right? So that's really not bringing about a transition. It's essentially just maintaining the status quo and then trying to pay for a damage that's already been done. Okay, well, look, time for one last question. You've unpacked a situation here where there's a, a growing awareness in business of the problem at, that we're dealing with climate change, the scale of it. There is a deeper understanding and a way of measuring outcomes. And you've been working in this field for a number of years. Where do you expect business to be, say, come the end of the decade? And what would you also like to see business doing, say, in the year 2030? Yeah, I mean, at this point in time, right, we definitely, uh, you know, have the urgency to act. We have got, I mean, the science is giving us a very clear signal that we can't really waste another few decades in terms of action on climate change. And when we look into existing scenarios, we already, you know, have got a very good idea of what would need to happen in order to bring us onto a net zero pathway, right? And that would involve, I think, you know, a number of changes, right? And a number of large scale changes as well. So for instance, you know, it would mean non-new approvals of coal power stations, especially if they're unabated. It would also mean, you know, essentially a reduction or a stop when it comes to any sort of, you know, approval for carbon intensive projects. You know, for Australia, it would mean a discussion around approval for new coal mine projects or for mine extensions. And we'd also need to see a radical upscale in terms of R&D investments to really boost innovation and various technologies in the space as well, right? So I think the International Energy Agency has also put out a number of roadmaps around what that would mean for the global energy sector, for instance. And yeah, they also emphasize, right, it really would require the deployment of low emissions technology at very large scale and also a rapid shift in terms of, you know, to low emissions vehicles, for instance, right, uptake of solar power, new buildings to be more energy efficient, phasing out coal in the economy. And that would be a big challenge for Australia alone and essentially a rapid addition of renewable capacity. And I think these are issues that would ultimately impact, I think, pretty much every business sector that's out there. 
So yeah, where do businesses need to be? I think businesses should really start to look into these types of changes at this very point in time and certainly also become more active, you know, in terms of evaluating at this point in time what can already be done to be more proactive in this particular space. Because I think if you can build this capability early on, it just means, you know, that there are fewer requirements for, you know, rapid sort of transition at a later point in time. Professor Martina Linaluki, thanks for being on Think Business Futures. Thank you, Anthony. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Tourist and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this program again or share it with your friends, just go to touristcr.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Think Business Futures will be back next week. I'm Anthony Dockwell. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.